All right. All right. Yes. Um, I thought they were funny. And I know we watched the John Chris video last week, but that one just came out today, so I thought it was pretty funny. Um, anyway, glad you're here. And uh, we are going to be back in Acts. We uh, tackled Acts chapter 1, mostly verse 8 last week. Uh, and as I said last week, there are 28 chapters in Acts, and we only have like 14 weeks this semester to cover all of that. And so we're going to have to hop around a little bit and, and hit some highlights. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 uh, tonight, and there's a lot going on in Acts chapter 2. We could spend three or four weeks in it um, if we had the time, but we're going to try to cover Acts chapter 2 um, tonight. If you uh, want to take notes, I know that's not everybody's uh, deal, especially if you've been in school. There are some books back there that you can have, you can keep um, to take notes in, and I'm going to do one of those every semester for you. If you want to uh, you know, have one for each study, you can certainly do that. So um, Acts chapter 2, I want us to, to really, we're going to focus in uh, on verses 14 through 38, but we're going to hit the end of it as well. But there's this thing that's happening in Acts chapter 2 where there's this event called Pentecost that the Jews celebrate. And it's at this event, this celebration every year um, comes up, uh, that Peter is going to preach just this incredible sermon at Pentecost shortly after uh, Jesus has ascended back into heaven, which we, we talked about in Acts chapter 1. We have uh, Jesus is talking there with the 11 disciples um, that uh, remain and he tells them that they are going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth after they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we follow that up here at Pentecost. Peter is about to preach this incredible sermon. And I want us to look at the sermon in particular. There's a lot of other stuff happening, but I want us to really focus in on what it is that Peter says, at what it means at that particular time, but for us, what it means today. What does Peter's sermon to this crowd mean for us as Christ followers, as believers in the 21st century. Does that make sense? And so I want us to see, first of all, uh, just we're going to read real quickly. I think all the verses for this chapter are on the screen, and so I may have to hop around a little bit, but I want us to look at the beginning of chapter 2. We'll just start in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, okay? Uh, all of them meaning all of the disciples, okay? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, your question here is going to be about the speaking in tongues, okay? Now, in particular in this passage... Okay? The tongues that they're speaking in are simply other languages. Okay? This isn't some uh, supernatural language that's happening at this point. Now, in other places in the New Testament, we can make the case that, that there's something else happening. But what we see as we read is that you're going to have a bunch of people from a bunch of different places, and we're going to read some of those places in just a second, are coming together, and there's going to be a lot of people that speak a lot of different languages. But there's going to be one dude presenting the gospel. And so in order for the Holy Spirit to, to move in order for the gospel to clearly be presented, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and people are able to speak different languages, okay? And understand different languages that normally they would not, okay? So this will make more sense as we read. Um, in verse five, it says, now uh, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astounded, saying, Are not all of these uh, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own 
native language. Okay, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Uh, and it goes on and on and continues uh, to list more and more places. Okay, And it says that each one of these people, no matter where they were from, no matter what language they spoke, could hear this message presented in their own language. So imagine that if uh, you were from Germany or you were from Pakistan or you were from Russia or you were from uh, India or you were from Somalia or you were from Peru or you were from wherever, okay? And we're all sitting in this room collectively. I don't speak any of uh, the languages that are spoken as the primary language in any of those countries that I just mentioned. I speak English, don't do that super well, don't speak any other languages uh, worth even mentioning at all. But suddenly, imagine that I were speaking in English, but you were able to hear it in your own language. That's what happens at Pentecost. It's this movement of the Holy Spirit. Remember, in Acts chapter 1, we hear Jesus say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, when what happens? When you receive power that comes only from whom? The Holy Spirit. And so what we have here is the Holy Spirit's power falling here at Pentecost. And suddenly, miraculous things begin to happen. Peter wasn't speaking a bunch of different languages of his own power. The Holy Spirit falls, and Peter is able to present the gospel, and other people are able to hear it in their own language, which is pretty crazy. I've used this quote before, but I was actually reminded of it the other night. Candace and I were uh, unpacking some boxes that we have had packed since we moved to Daphne, which was six years ago. And there's this picture that was in my office at my last church. And it's a, it's a picture uh, that somebody gave me. They took of me. Uh, I was preaching uh, in a country in West Africa uh, like almost 10 years ago. And they put a Nelson Mandela quote on, under it. And I've used this quote before, but the quote uh, essentially paraphrased says that if you speak to a man in a language that he understands, that goes to his head. But if you speak to a man in his own language, that goes to his heart. Speaking to someone in their own language has the power to transform them. And that's the, the point that Mandela was, was trying to make. And that's what happens here. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allows a miraculous event to take place. And what we see, what I really think that the main point that we see here is that the gospel is a message of hope for all nations. The gospel, the, the gospel, the gospel. I'm trying to put gospel and nations all together. All right, a message, apparently. The, the gospel is a message of hope for all nations. Otherwise, right, God would have just allowed Peter to just speak in his own native language and everybody else could just figure it out if they wanted to figure it out, right? Bring your own translator if you, if you need it translated, all right? Or just try to, try to figure it out some other way. But God allows the message, the hope that is the gospel to be presented to all of these people in their own language on the spot through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a truth that didn't just apply, doesn't just apply at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. It applies for us today. The gospel is still a message that is intended for all nations, all peoples, for all time. And it's important for us to understand that as the church today, and when I say the church, we talked about this last week, but I'm going to remind you every week, we're not talking about just Eastern Shore Baptist Church. We're not talking about just this youth group. We're talking about the church. Anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord you're part of the church. I'm just going to wait for things to settle down in the back. 
The gospel is intended for, for everyone. And if we, are, we claim to be a Christ follower, then we have the responsibility, the calling, to be a witness to the very ends of the earth. And that's the message that we're about to get from Peter. So let's fast forward to verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Being all this multitude of people, there are thousands of people in attendance. We're going to find out that there are, there are thousands and thousands of people there in just a second. It's this huge festival, Pentecost. Think like Mardi Gras in New Orleans. It was crazy, okay? Supposed to be a religious event, had turned into something far different, okay? Which Mardi Gras has its roots in religion too, but it's become something far different, right? Okay, and so that's what's happening is this crazy festival, all right? People aren't there expecting to have their lives transformed is what I'm trying to get at. They're there for a party. They're there for an event. Peter stands up and addresses them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's giving this presentation from the prophet Joel about how great and majestic God is and how God has already planned out this, this perfect plan and that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And then he gets more specific and begins to get a little more real with him in verse 22. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You, have make, uh, you make me full of gladness with your presence. Hang with me for just a second and we're gonna unpack all this, okay? Verse 29. Brothers, I may, not, uh, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath uh, or an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. All right, really focus back in with me here. I know that's a, a lot of information you're getting. But in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out uh, this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make you enemies, uh, my enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The second time he said that. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gifts 
of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's four things that happen in Peter's sermon. I know that was a lot of stuff and a lot of jumping back and forth from quoting the Old Testament to Peter actually presenting the gospel. But the first thing, okay, Peter presents, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And what I want us to see is that this is more than just a sermon that some dude preached 2,000 years ago. This is a, a sermon, and it's a, a clear presentation of the gospel. But more for us today, it's a blueprint on how to share the gospel. We have a really basic template here for how to share the gospel. So I, I spoke last week, and I had a student that went home and, and talked to his dad about what we talked about tonight. And his dad started asking him, uh, uh, that's awesome that y'all talked about being uh, uh, God's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But what, how would you witness to someone? How would you share your faith with somebody? And uh, the son apparently said, I, I have no idea. And so that's, that's what we're looking at right now. That's what we're going to look at in chapter 4 next week. This is who Jesus is. Can you articulate who Jesus is? Can you have a conversation with someone, one-on-one, with a group of people, with your friends, neighbors, whoever it is? This is who Jesus is. Could you have that conversation with somebody? This is the conversation that Peter says. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the guy who, if you remember, you crucified, He had done a lot of really miraculous things, a lot of wonders. He actually is the son of God and he himself is God. And he was resurrected from the dead. That guy, that Jesus. Peter is is in this moment communicating the truth of who Jesus is. Understand this, that what we say about Jesus, who we say that Jesus is, will define who we are. What you say about Jesus will define who you are for the rest of your life. You may be a really good athlete, you may be really smart and do well at school, you may have a great job, you may make a lot of money, you may be really happy in your marriage one day, you may have really great kids that go on to do really awesome things. All of those things are fine, they're good, none of them are bad things, but those things don't define who you are. You may allow them to define who you are, and they may even define who you are here on this earth, but for all eternity, what you say about who Jesus is will define your eternity. It has the potential to define other people's eternity. What you say and do with Jesus has the power to impact people's eternity, yours included. So Peter clearly articulates or or demonstrates who Jesus is. Can you do that? If you can't, this isn't isn't Josh up here like scolding you for not being able to talk about who Jesus is. My, My point is, have you stopped to think about who Jesus is? Have you read what Scripture says about who Jesus is? Have you had conversations with your friends about who Jesus is? One of the greatest gifts that I have in doing what I do for a living is I get to have these conversations each and every day with people. Sometimes it's people that know a lot more about Scripture than I do, and I get to listen to what they're telling me about what scripture says about Jesus. Other times, it's, it's people that I've never met before that wander in off the street and just want me to go buy some gas for them. And I get to have conversations about who Jesus is with them. Not only do I tell them who Jesus is, but I get to hear what they think about Jesus or who they think Jesus is. I get to have conversations with people of all different faiths. People who believe crazy stuff. People who were raised in a completely different environment. People that were raised in... Uh, 
an Islamic home, a Buddhist home. I have people uh, that I talk to on a regular basis that are what, are what they're called universalists, where they believe that whatever you want to believe is cool, and they take and pick whatever part of this religion or this belief system they want and put them together. I talk to atheists. I talk to agnostics. I talk to people who believe that they are Christians who have no idea what it means to be a Christ follower. But in those conversations, whether it's me telling them who Scripture says Jesus is or whether it's me listening to what they think Jesus is, I get to have those conversations I get to hear what's right and what's not right. But if you're just living your life and you never think about these things and you never have these conversations and you're never opening God's word, it's going to be very difficult for you to begin to understand who Jesus is, right? Think about it this way. Fellas, let's say you're trying to date that really, really super attractive girl that you saw on Instagram, right? All right, she probably has a lot of filters on her Instagram photos, and it's a trap. So um, she's tricking you. So make sure you see her in person first. All right, okay. Before you fall in love with her, with Instagram uh, girl, make sure you see uh, real life girl. Okay, dude, y'all do it too. Um, so you've got to get the right angles, flexing on them, um, sucking in real hard while you flex real hard. Um, so, all right. So, all right, okay. But listen to me. Let Let's just say that. Like, there's this really attractive girl, right? And you want to have a relationship with her, but you have no interest in, uh, thanks, Jack. Uh, but you have, no, you have, you have no, I should have known better. You have no interest in, in spending the, the correct time in trying to get to know her, right? Right, so like Valentine's Day is coming up pretty soon and proms after that, and y'all do some really dumb promposal where you embarrass yourself and everyone else involved by like dropping uh, hearts out of a helicopter or something ridiculous. Will you go to prom with me? She doesn't really want to, but at that point she has to because you rented a helicopter, all right? We, we get what's happening, all right? Hey, listen, like all this stuff, like, okay, Valentine's Day, you're gonna try to, you're gonna send her, uh, red roses, but she hates roses, right? She, she, she prefers like hydrangeas or something ridiculous, all right? Okay, all right, okay, it's so whatever. But, but hey, listen to me. And, and, and you give her chocolate because all girls like chocolate and red roses, right? But she doesn't like chocolate at all. In fact, she's allergic to chocolate. All right, so you give her a Reese's cup and she's allergic to peanuts and chocolate and you're gonna kill the girl. But listen to me, hey, here's the point. Hey, you say you want a relationship with this girl, but do you really if you won't spend the time to get to know this girl, right? You like the idea of, of the companionship, you like the idea of how hot she looks on Instagram, but you're not, you're not actually worried about getting to know her. It's a silly example, right? But it, the same thing happens with us. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you, do you have a desire to know who Jesus is so that you can have a relationship with him and ultimately become more Christ-like? Peter presents to these people, this is who Jesus is, all right? But then the harder part, he also tells them, this is who you are. This is what you've done. He gives them the truth about who Jesus is, but then he also gives them the truth about who they are. And understanding who Jesus is is one thing, but you also have to understand who you are, who I, who I am. And there's good and bad that comes with that, right? Last week we sang that song, I, I am who you say that I am, right? Which is a positive thing, right? That, 
that God tells us who we are, that we are intimately created by him for a particular purpose. Perfectly created in his image for his glory. But we're also very sinful creatures. This is what Peter reminds him reminds them of. Hey, remember Jesus of Nazareth? <laughs> you killed him. You crucified him. Now, what's important to note is that this happens at least 40 days after Jesus's death and resurrection because we know Jesus hangs out for 40 days after he's resurrected with the disciples and we know by this point he's ascended into heaven. So think like close to 50 days after Jesus is gone. Not everyone who is here was in attendance when Jesus was was crucified. Not everyone here drove a nail into his hands or into his feet. Not everyone here uh, stuck a spear in his side. Not everyone here was physically responsible for Jesus' death. But what Peter does tell them is that it's because of who you are and your sin that Jesus had to die. Guys, just as important as it is to know who Jesus is, it's important to know who I am. A sinful creature who has, has disappointed God over and over again. And that's hard to hear. But we have to, we have to be able to understand both. We have to really be, under, be, be able to understand how those two things are opposed to one another. That God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to live a perfect life while we were still sinners. Right? It's this, this really crazy story that God sends his one and only perfect son for collectively a bunch of sinful creatures, but even more so personally, a very sinful Josh. You can insert your name there, and you can, you can list off all of the things in your life that you know you've done that have completely been against God's will in your life. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who you are? Guys, we're, we're building a testimony here. Like every year we go on choir tour, somebody shares a testimony. You'll hear people in church share their testimony. You'll see uh, videos online or whatever, people sharing their, their testimony or their story. It's, it's, it's not a scary thing to do. I, I know it sounds scary to, to get up and share your testimony. This, this is who Jesus is. This is who I am. And then the third thing, but this is what Jesus has done for me. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what I am and what I've done. But this is what Jesus has done for me. And it's a personal, it's a personal thing, but it's also a corporate thing as well. Christ came to this earth and died in your place to take away eternal punishment. To take that off the table for you. To wipe the slate clean so that you could spend eternity with God even though you and I deserve eternity apart from God. That's what Peter tells these people. Jesus is God's son, he is God. He lived a perfect life, he came, he died and was resurrected. You didn't deserve it because you were the ones that put him there. Yet he died in your place and was resurrected for you. These are the, the basic components of what it means to tell your story. Here's who God is. Here's who Jesus is. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. But here's what God did anyway. And then finally, there's the, the response from the crowd. And they say, what, what, what must we do now? How do we respond to this? And what does Peter say? He says, repent and be baptized. 
And Paul says it like this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, then you can have salvation. And Peter urges them to respond in this way. If you believe that God is who he says he is, you believe that you are with sin. You are a sinner in desperate need of saving from eternal punishment. And you believe that God sent Jesus to die in your place. Then today, repent of your sin or literally turn in the other direction. Leave your sin behind and follow after Jesus. If you, if you believe those things and trust Jesus with the rest of your life, then you and have salvation. As cheesy as the ABCs of salvation sound sometimes, this is, this is where we get them from. This, this idea that, that Peter talks about here, that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, that if, if we will follow after Jesus with everything that we have, we understand who he is, we understand who we are, and we understand that, that he died for us anyway. And we're willing to trust the rest of our life to follow after him. That's the message of the gospel. And so now you understand what the message of the gospel is and you've had an encounter with Jesus and you can tell somebody about that encounter with Jesus. Boom, you have, a, you have what we call a testimony or you, your story, what God's done for you. And that's what we see here. Peter is literally just sharing the gospel in very clear terms with thousands of and thousands and thousands of people. And so for us today, this message is still very true and still very real, but it's also, like I said, a blueprint for us in how we as individuals and how we as the church are called to engage people. What's interesting is I hear people, and look, I've been there too. I hear people talk about, well, it's very scary to share my story or share the gospel because what if people don't uh, don't respond in the way that I want them to respond or what if I don't know exactly what to say or what if they ask me questions I don't know the answer to. Here's, here's the cool thing about the gospel is the gospel always demands a response. Anytime the gospel is presented, people respond, either in a negative way or a positive way. Their response isn't up to you. It's not on you. However, sharing the gospel, sharing the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life is on you. And it is on me. We don't have a responsibility to lead someone to Christ. We have a responsibility to show people who Christ is, what Christ has done in our life. The Holy Spirit then takes that and pushes that person in that direction. This is what we, the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be faithful. Now, we don't want to just go do a half-hearted job and like be like, I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. Hey, Jesus died for you. Awesome. Died for me. Cool. All right, you're going to hell if you don't believe in him. All right? We don't need to build billboards that say you're going to burn and what's the, the, uh, the yeah, the, the watch out, the devil will get you or would you go to church, the devil will get you or whatever. Uh, you're going to burn in hell if, if, uh, uh, if you commit one of these three sins that Baptists don't really like, okay? That's not, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about, hey, this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done in my life because I needed him. If we're faithful to do that, God's going to be faithful to use the Holy Spirit in that circumstance. We don't, we don't have to worry about the rest. Do we want to pray for people? Yeah, absolutely. We want to do our best to present the gospel and to love people um, and, and continue to do that over and over again? Yeah, we do. But we live in the freedom of being able to, to share the story of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life without having to worry about what happens next. 
uh, I want us to see real quickly. We got just a couple minutes and the band's gonna come back up here. Verse 42. This, is, this passage is where uh, I, I would say probably 90% of churches take like their mission statement or their vision statement or, or who they are, where they find their identity, okay? Because we have, what happens here is we have the first church. Because um, we skipped this part, but in verse 41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come to know Jesus and are baptized. That's crazy. I've been doing this for like 10 years. I keep waiting for 3,000 people to come forward all at the same time and it hasn't happened yet. It must be pretty awesome. Like Peter, I, it had to be a disappointment anytime Peter preached after that because he gets up there and preaches this sermon. 3,000 people get saved and get baptized. And then like the next time, like two people come or something and he's like, bro, all right, James is over there like, bro, what happened? 3,000 last week, two, two this week. All right, gotta be a little disappointing. But 3,000 people are, are saved and are baptized. And so we have the first church. This is, this is the first church that happens here, okay? And so in verse 42, it says, and they, those being, those who have been saved and baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sounds awesome, right? The church is growing. The church is flourishing at the very beginning. And they're going to have their problems. We're going to see Paul write to a lot of these churches that spring up in different places. And they have different quarrels and differences among them. And they're, they're not perfect by any stretch. The church was never perfect because the church has always been full of imperfect people. Right? But in the very beginning, we really see that, I would say three things. Okay? They're, they're devoted to gospel teaching, to biblical teaching. They, it says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to scripture they're devoted to understanding who God is. And so today in, in 2019 at Eastern Shore Baptist Church and just in the global church, are we devoting ourselves to, to Scripture? Are you devoting yourself, am I devoting myself to understanding God's Word? Let me just side note. Look, I was in middle school and high school once upon a time as well, and I listened to a lot of different music, and most of it was not good music. I say good music. It wasn't music that I should have been listening to. But man, I don't, that, we've sung, we've sung Mighty to Save a, a lot before, right? So a lot of you know that song. The second song is called Worthy, and a lot of you probably haven't heard it because it just, it just came out on an album uh, that Elevation uh, Church, Elevation Music put out this year. But like, if you don't listen to Christian music, uh, you probably haven't heard that song before. If you're not listening to worship music, you probably haven't heard that song before. And it's an incredible song. It's a beautiful song. And so, look, I'm not stupid enough to think that you are going to go home and, like, delete all of your uh, playlist on Spotify or iTunes, Apple Music or whatever that don't have Christian music. And I, I get that you're not going to do that, okay? And I'm not your mom uh, or your dad, and I'm not going to make you do that. But, man, I can't, I can't tell you how important it is to, to saturate yourself with God's word, whether it be reading scripture, whether it be listening to scripture through music. And, and I'm telling you that it, it really, as a youth pastor, and look, I'm, I'm an old man now and I get it, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of disconnected from, um, you know, pop music and stuff um, because I have kids that listen to Disney princess music and, um, and then I listen to 
what you hear in here on Wednesday night. But man, it's super discouraging. Just gotta be honest with you. It's super discouraging for me as, as a student pastor when you guys aren't hearing this music outside of this place and when you're not in God's word outside of this room. Because there's so much truth and so much hope and joy that you can find from this stuff, okay? Again, I'm not, there's, there's plenty of really well-done music, and a lot of Christian music isn't well-done at all musically. I, I get that. But there's this bigger picture where there's strength and hope and joy that comes from God's word that doesn't come from anywhere else. Does that make sense? All right, that's my old man thing for the moment. All right, okay. So they were devoted, but they were also glad. So they, they came together with glad and generous hearts, they, they found joy, and the joy comes from what they were devoted to. They're devoted to God's word. They're, they're devoted to sound teaching. And so they're glad. They, they have joy, and they find that being together brings them joy. And look, this place isn't perfect. This group in here isn't perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. Okay? But do you find joy in being together with other believers? I hope that you're encouraged by one another. I hope that you're encouraged when you're together. I hope that this weekend isn't just a fun weekend, but that you really find joy and you find peace and you find encouragement in it. That's part of what the church is supposed to function to do is to encourage one another, to build one another up. The first church, just like us, went through very difficult times. Soon after this, you're gonna have an emperor in Rome that's literally burning Christians alive because they're Christians. Guess what? Back then, Teenagers in, in these, they didn't have youth groups per se, but somebody probably dated somebody's ex-boyfriend. Somebody probably dated somebody's ex-girlfriend. Somebody probably cheated on somebody. Uh, somebody probably sent somebody else's uh, boyfriend or girlfriend a Snapchat. They should have sent them. All right, they have Snapchat, but you get what I'm saying. Somebody said something about somebody behind their back. Somebody did something. Yet, the church is designed to encourage and to build up. We're gonna make mistakes because we're humans. But at the end of the day, this has to be a place where you can come and be encouraged. And are you actively encouraging other people? They were devoted, they were glad, but they were also generous. They had compassion on people. It says they sold off their possessions and gave it to people who were in need. They sold off their stuff and gave it to people because they needed, they needed things. They were people in great need, and so they met those needs. But even more than just selling stuff, they had kind and compassionate hearts and they saw needs and they tried to meet them. Whether they were emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever it was, another part of what the church has always been intended to do. Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you so much, God, that you have allowed us to gather here tonight. Now, there's so much more we could say about this passage, God, but as we have run out of time tonight, God, I pray God, that, God, you would remind us, God, of who you are. You are the creator of the universe, God, the giver of life, the God who sustains us, the God who has delivered us countless times, God, the God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, even though we certainly don't deserve it. God, so I pray that we would be encouraged by that, God, but we would also be challenged by it to go and to share that story with the people around us. God, there is a, an entire world in desperate need of, of hope, and we possess that hope in the story of what you have done in our lives. 
God, what you have done in the lives of countless others before us. And so I pray that we would be willing to do that, and God, that you would give us the power through your Holy Spirit to do that. God, I pray that we would be an incredible example of how much you love people, God, by the way we love one another. God, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Yes,